the old stuff, which is timeless. There is power in the blood of Jesus, is there not? You know, Jesus wasn't just any man who died on the cross. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. His blood enables us to be free of our sin. And so let's go to him today. Let's pray and ask the Lord as we come together to experience communion, that the Lord would bring us together in unity, that we would truly love him and we would love one another. Our God and our Father, we are so grateful for your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot fathom what he has done for us. We cannot. There is no way that we can do that. But we just accept it humbly, realizing, Lord, we're in such great need. And Lord, whether we've been saved for 10 minutes or 85 years, it doesn't matter. We are in need of you. We're in need of salvation all day long. Lord, we're so inept, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do that. We cannot bridge that gap that we have created because of our sin. Lord, we are sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that you reached down. And not just reached down, you came down. And you were one of us. And you shed your blood that we might be saved. Thank you. Thank you. So Lord, I pray that you'll turn our attention to this great experience, this great reenactment, even as you told us, Lord, to do this in remembrance of you. So, Lord, as we, as we think about this in our devotional today, may we partake of the elements in a worthy manner. And we'll give you thanks, and we'll give you eternal praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, not only is this Communion Sunday, as we have this Sunday of the month, but also it is Pentecost Sunday. And so I want to say happy birthday, church. Yeah, and you know what I mean. You know, uh, the day of Pentecost, as we call it, you know, the Jews call it the Shavuot. It's the 50th day after the giving, uh, after Passover. And so uh, we have, in the church of Jesus Christ, adopted that, as it were, as what Acts 2 tells us. Now, the day of Pentecost was the beginning of a new era. God's people have been recommissioned, so to speak. And Isaiah, the Lord told his people, you are my witnesses. This is Old Testament stuff. But you know what? They weren't very good at being God's witnesses, were they? See, they had a lousy track record of representing the true and living God to the nations around them. In fact, it was usually the other way around. And it usually ended up being that God's people often adopted the ways of the nations instead of being a witness to the pagan world. And now the Lord did not take too kindly to that, as we read in Scripture. And He sent warning after warning through His prophets. And He finally sent Israel packing. It's almost as if He said to the, to the people, you know, you want, you want the world? You want to live in the world? I'll send you there by courtesy of Assyria and Babylon. But when God's time of disciplining his people was finished, and at just the right time, God sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, 
The word, the name literally means Savior, Messiah, God's anointed one to rule as King of Kings, the prophet to be God's faithful witness and mouthpiece of truth to his people, and priest to be God's lamb, the one to take away the sins of the world. And throughout the days of Jesus' ministry, he was the faithful witness of the true and living God. He chose the 12 that he might show them how faithful witnessing was done. Everything Jesus did was to bear witness to his father. And when Jesus stood before Pilate in that mock trial, the Lord told the governor, as John records it in John 18, 37, for this purpose, I have come into the world. And for this purpose, I was born to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Indeed, the life that he lived, the death that he died, his resurrection, his ascension, and his praying for us right now, his intercession for us, all serve as our Lord's bearing witness to the truth. The truth about who God is in all of his majesty, in all of his glory. The truth about who we are in our sinfulness and need for salvation and how we are to live in God's world. For the earth is indeed the Lord's and everything in it. And for God's people, what this means is that they, we are to be his witnesses. Now, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he had one last meeting, one last teaching time with his men. And these last words Jesus spoke to them are these words recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And with that, a cloud covered Jesus and enveloped him. And he was ascended to the right hand of the Father. And his disciples saw him visibly no longer. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, two angels came up, it says. They said, men of Galilee... Why are you standing gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And so with that commission and the promise of the coming Holy Spirit ringing in the disciples' ears, Jesus went away and they returned to Jerusalem. And 10 days later, the Spirit did come even as Jesus promised. And now, empowered by the Spirit, Jesus' disciples were indeed God's witnesses once again to proclaim Him to the end of the known world in their day. And so we might want to say that what we call the Great Commission was, in a sense, a great re-commission. It was as if the Lord gave His people another chance to be witnesses to the world. But what was so important to God that his people be his witnesses? What was it that he wanted them to witness about? Well, it's nothing new. It's nothing made up. It was revealed through Isaiah the prophet in chapter 43, verses 10 to 12. He says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, 
there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed that when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. So what was it that God wanted his people to witness to the world about concerning him? That they know him, that they believe him, that they understand there is only one God, that there is only one Savior. And I find it amazing how the Lord Jesus in the days of his ministry perfectly echoed his father. Did he not say in John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life to know him? Because as we know what Jesus said in John 17, 3, he gives us what eternal life really means. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life is to know the true God and his Christ. And later on, we hear Peter saying in Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter declared loud and proud that Jesus alone, in him alone, is salvation. Jesus is the Savior. What do we just hear in Isaiah? God says, I am the Savior. And so what started on Pentecost Sunday almost 2,000 years ago with 120 disciples, and at the end of that day, there were 3,000 newly baptized believers in Christ. It became a worldwide movement. After all these centuries, Jesus' disciples are still fulfilling the Great Commission Down through the ages, his followers have gone around the world innumerable times preaching the gospel that the true and living God reigns and that salvation is found only in Christ and in him alone. Today, the sun never sets on the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Fantastic. At various levels, followers of Christ have been faithful through the years to set a holy gospel witness. But they, we, are not alone. The Holy Spirit has gone before us to all the world. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sins to bear upon those who are unsaved. He has given them new life, those who have repented and turned to Christ just like we have. He has written God's law on their hearts. He's given them not only the want to, but also the means by which to carry that out. And churches have been established in every country on the face of the earth. We think about some of the most places that are hostile to the gospel. We think of North Korea. The church is alive and well in North Korea. We think about uh, Iran. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Who would have thunk that? God did this. According to one researcher, there are 27 million local churches around the world. 27 million. The average size of a local church is 80. Now, we think about Grace United. We're not to 80 yet, but this average size, 80. 27 million local churches, about 2.2 billion people who claim to follow Jesus. Now, it's a great thing that 
you know, we know Christ and that Christ knows us, that we have eternal life. And it's a wonderful thing to have our sins forgiven and to live a life that's significant, eternally impactful in someone else's life. That's a wonderful thing. There is no greater joy than having that commitment to other people and to the Lord. And as one segment of the church of Jesus Christ, Grace United Family Church, we've come together today to offer to the Lord, the true and living God, hopefully worship that He will accept. We come together today as individuals forming a group of believers in Christ. And it is vital that we do come together. See, Scripture commands us to regularly meet together. You knew that, right? I mean, we keep talking about, especially the fundamentalistic pastors, right? Well, you got to come to church. You got to come to church. Guess what? It says that in Scripture. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 reminds us that we come together regularly to worship the Lord. That's the most important thing we do. But the writer to the Hebrews says, also tells us that we are, when we're together, we are to consider one another, how to stir up one another to love and to good works. We are not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another more and more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. And the closer we get to the Lord's return, the greater the intensity of persecution of God's people there will be all around the world. We know this. We pray for our brothers and sisters every week and how we need to come together to encourage one another to stay at it, to not quit. Don't give up. Keep going after Jesus. We need to do this. We need to help one another. That's why we need to be together. We need to follow Jesus regardless of the cost. Our brothers and sisters are paving the way and helping us, being our examples for this. Now, we know that our brothers and sisters out there are being persecuted for their faith. But outright persecution has come to our shores, and it's here now. Recently, Chicago officials have threatened to declare one of their local churches as a health hazard, paving the way to have the building raised to the ground because the building, uh, because the church is meeting, even though they comply with all the mandates due to the COVID issue, except for one, the number of people coming together. Because see, they only allow 10 in their, in their city. The communication to the church basically says that the governor's action has the force of law. Allison Arwady, the commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health, sent a letter recently to the Aleem Romanian Pentecostal Church. And by the way, this pastor, he escaped Romania to avoid persecution. That's his backstory. And now he received this letter saying that uh, Allison Arwady has the power to stop the congregation from meeting by, quote, whatever means is necessary to include summary abatement. Now, what summary abatement? It is defined by the Illinois Supreme Court this way. To put down or destroy without process. And this means by definition, the inspector can, upon his or her own judgment, cause the alleged nuisance to stop on his own or her own authority 
and effect a destruction of property at their discretion. That's happening now in our country, in Chicago. As has often been said throughout the COVID issue, our constitutional rights do not become null and void, even though there are crises in our world. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said that she wants to educate people into compliance. And she's not the only political leader to say that. And I mentioned before that the national rhetoric has changed, hasn't it? It's changed from flattening the curve so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. Now it's been changed to that of eradicating the virus. Some governors are actually saying that they will not go back to normal until a vaccine is made. How long is that going to be? But with all that said, Grace United Family Church are God's people. We've come together, joined together by covenant, meeting together as God commanded us to do so. And we are privileged to do so. The church, we're to come together in love and unity. Truly, salvation is ultimately, though, between the Lord and the, and the individual. But when a person becomes born again by the Spirit of God, he or she is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We as individuals are part of the very body of Christ, and we all need one another, not virtually, up close and personal. See, this is the way the Lord designed it. Isn't that true? He designed us as people needing one another. Remember in Genesis 2, when God said something about his perfect world, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, of course, we know that the story here, that as God is presenting it, is that he's making a, a helper suitable for Adam. But this underscores the need that we all have for others. God created us with a need for people, whether we're single or married. Has it occurred to you that as that the most important things in life as Christians, we cannot do alone? Did you know that? For example, we cannot love alone. And we're going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians 13 in a few weeks. But let's think about a couple of the points that Paul is making in his description of love. The first thing he says about love is love is patient. Now, we can get all psychological, but Paul basically said it's patient. But patient, how can we exhibit patience if we are alone? We have to have somebody to be patient with, right? He also says that love is kind. It's not envious. And again, how can we really display these things if we are totally alone? We can't. We need one another. What about forgiveness? You know, I'm reminded that we are never more like Christ than, we for, than when we forgive others who have wronged us. See, we cannot forgive another person if no one is in our world that we should forgive. We can't forgive in a vacuum. We can't forgive by ourselves. What about spiritual gifts? And again, we're going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians 12 in a few weeks. We cannot exercise spiritual gifts alone either. All of us who are in Christ, guess what? We have a few spiritual gifts that we need to do what with? Give to one another up close and personal. 
and even our lives as Christians. We cannot live that alone either. Why is that? Because the ultimate person in the universe, God himself, has a relationship with God's people. We can't live the Christian life alone. Can't do it. Can't do it. Some of Jesus' last words given to his people also were to make disciples. Now, it's pretty obvious that we can't make disciples if there's nobody around to make disciples. If we're alone, we can't do that. We need others in our world. So what's my point? Simply as followers of Jesus, we must meet together for worship, for encouragement, for training to show a more godly witness to our unsaved family and friends. We also join together as a corporate witness. Remember what Jesus prayed. He prayed right before he went to the cross that we would be unified to be together to express unity, to love one another. Why? So that the world around us will know that Jesus is their Savior too. He can save them. If we're doing an effective job, then the world out there is going to want what we have. And finally, we come together to help fulfill the Great Commission. And that's what Pentecost is all about. Jesus sent his disciples into the world to be a witness to the world. That's what Pentecost is all about. And over the centuries, individual Christians and churches and even denominations have taken Jesus' words seriously enough to actually engage in cross-cultural evangelism, missionary service. And the advancement of the gospel worldwide has been incredible. For example, the Jesus movie is just one of the countless ways that the gospel has been packaged, as it were, and created to spread the gospel. Since 1979, it has been shown several billion times. Isn't it amazing for one movie? It's been translated into a thousand languages, over a thousand languages. And what does that mean for the world? Well over 99% have access to the gospel on film through the Jesus movie. Amazing. Now, of course, putting the Jesus movie together requires a team, requires more than just one person to do it. Just like many missions organizations. For example, there are discipleship organizations called the Navigators. And ministries like that, they have, they have helped multiply thousands of Christians to help other Christians become more like Jesus. That's the essence of discipleship. And the Navigators ministry has actually impacted Grace United over the last several months. And I've got some really exciting news, and I'll be sharing that in due time. But I just want to let you know, Navigators has really helped Grace United Family Church in a huge way. But again, we need to be together to make this happen. We need to be up close and personal. And so today, we come together according to the Lord's commandment and inviting us to engage with one another. See, it's a simple affair, really. It's a reenactment, simple reenactment. It's the way it's been done for centuries. Some with the elements of the bread in the cup. Some churches use wine. 
Other churches use grape juice like ours. These elements represent Jesus himself. Jesus described the bread that we were all going to partake in as his soon-to-be broken body, broken for us. And that is when Jesus spoke the words at the Last Supper, he told his disciples that he was going to be horribly mistreated, humiliated, stripped to nothing, spit upon, flogged with the flagellum. A crown of thorns would be pounded into his skull. And Jesus would be forced to carry a heavy crossbeam to the place where he would be crucified. But he was so weak that he couldn't carry it. And so a man named Simon was coerced into carrying the crossbeam for Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus had a cup filled with wine. He described this as his blood. He called it the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Later that night, after Jesus was arrested, he was tried. Then the flagellum was applied and the blood splattered. Pilate was too afraid to stand up for justice preferring his political career over the execution of an innocent man. He became painfully aware of this when the crowd screamed out, If you let this man live, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And Pilate sent Jesus to the place of the skull. They threw Jesus down on the cross and drove nails into his hands and his feet deep into the wood. Soldiers lifted him up and dropped the cross into the stand. Jesus hung there for hours and through labored, agonizing breaths, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I'm thirsty. It is finished Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And with that, Jesus shed his blood. Another way of saying that Jesus was killed. But he was placed in a borrowed grave. He'd only be using it for three days. Isn't that great? He walked out of that grave. Triumphant. Never to die again. Hallelujah. And now that he's alive forever, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and even interceding for his people, Jesus commands us to come together to remember his broken body and his shed blood. See, this is the heart of our saving relationship with God. He gave his life for us. We are to remember it. And never forget it. Today, though, we've arranged things a little bit differently. Uh, Because of the the coronavirus thing, we have uh, some um, sanitized versions, so to speak. Uh, Hang on a second. Oh, okay. Got it. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> we have them in little baggies. We have the little. We have the the bread. We have the cup in the baggies. And so, as we pass out the elements, please feel free to take it. But let me remind, let me remind us that this is for God's people. Now we don't have a table here, but Jesus says, "Come to the table." It's not Grace United's table, it's the Lord's table. And so if you've repented of your sin and you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, your Lord and your Savior, then I invite you to participate. But I also ask that if you're harboring sin in your life and you refuse to let go of it, even as a Christian, then let the elements go past. See, it says in Psalm 66, 18, says, if we cherish sin in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. So if you are cherishing sin in your heart, pass the elements by because the Lord doesn't want us to be participating in an unworthy manner. But now, there's a remedy for that. You know, we don't have to cherish sin in our hearts. He tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as the basket is passed, let's take this time to remember what the Lord has done for us. Let's take this time to obey the commandment. As he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Let's remember him. So let's go ahead and... and We'll have a prayer over the elements. We'll pass it out. And then before we partake, we would like to show our solidarity to one another, to the Lord as well, by praying together the Lord's Prayer. And we'll say it with the King James, I guess, flair, because most, most of us know what that is, how to, how to pray that. So we'll pray the Lord's Prayer before we participate and partake of the elements. But let us pray now, shall we? Our Father and our God, Words don't do it justice at a time like this, especially. We are profoundly grateful for what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. We are sinners by nature, by choice. We've rebelled against you. All of us naturally are children of wrath. But you in your mercy, Father, sent your son to take our punishment. To pour out your wrath upon your son. And even, Lord, as as you tell us in Isaiah, it pleased you to crush your son. We don't get it. We don't understand. But we receive. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for these symbols that represent your broken body, represent your shed blood for me, for my brothers, 
for my sisters. Help us, Lord. Search our hearts. Examine us, Lord, that we might readily and eagerly and deeply repent of our sins. May we partake of the elements in a worthy manner because you are holy. And we'll give you thanks. And we'll give you praise because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. We can uh, open our hermetically sealed (laughs) elements. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread. He passed it to his disciples. He broke it and passed it to his disciples and he said, take this, eat it. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And after supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup. Had wine in it. Gave it to his disciples. He said, drink this, all of you. This blood, or this wine represents my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this, drink this, do this in remembrance of me. As Paul tells us, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. How long? Until he comes again. We have that hope that he's coming again as we participate. So let's partake together. So we're going to have our giving here. And so as we as we give, but... We're going we're gonna to give, we're going to have our final song, but then let me encourage you, as we've been mentioning before, that, that we're here together, up close and personal. We want to encourage each other. We want to help one another. So my challenge to all of us is for us not to leave here until we've said at least one encouraging word, one word of encouragement to at least one person, to a brother or sister to help us Keep going. Keep following Jesus, regardless of the cost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these elements representing your son's body and blood. And so now I pray, Lord, as we take up the offering, thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you, Lord, for giving many of us, some of us anyway, uh, the ability to have a job, to get wealth, Help us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for prompting your people to give so faithfully over the last several months especially. I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll help us to take these monies and help us to be good stewards of them. So, Lord, this is in actuality your money. Help us, Lord, not to forget that. Thank you, Lord, for our gift of song that we can give to you. I pray that you'll accept our worship as we sing to you. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.